Hey, folks, I know there are lots of business owners who listen to this show. Maybe some of you never planned on running a business, but now here you are. One thing you've always got to keep in mind is how much you're spending on your operating costs. That's one of the first things we had to keep in mind with WTF. And with things costing more today than they did when we started, you want to keep your expenses down. To reduce costs and headaches, be smart and use NetSuite by Oracle, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Reduce IT costs, cut the costs of maintaining multiple systems, improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash WTF for more. That's netsuite, N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash WTF. All right, let's do this. How are you? What the fuckers? What the fuck buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fuck nicks? What the fuckaholics? How's it going? What's happening? This is Mark Marin. This is me, Mark Marin. This is my podcast, WTF. Welcome to it. How's everybody doing? Is everybody all right? Are you okay? I'm uh, obviously not in the garage right now. I'm in uh, Portland, Oregon. I'm in a hotel room. And uh, I'm here doing a stand-up comedy show. You know, I got a lot of a lot of emails from everybody. I appreciate all the uh, well-wishing and good thoughts uh, and uh, congratulatory uh, salutations for my 20 years sober. I, I appreciate that. I, I, I didn't want to make a big deal out of it, but it's a pretty big deal. And I certainly liked hearing from everybody, especially the people that uh, seem to have gotten some help from me being me and talking about what I talk about in terms of uh, getting off the booze, changing the life. Uh, it was really nice. It's, it's been great. It's been overwhelming. I don't, I don't always know what to do with uh, the good things coming at me, but I, I am certainly happy to hear that I've helped out. I, I am happy about that. Last night, I did a show at Revolution Hall, which I don't know if you know about. Why would you? Revolution Hall is a, a venue inside an old high school. The entire high school has been turned into like office spaces and they use the auditorium as a concert venue. And I'm starting to realize, because I've been there before, I've performed at that place before and I felt a little weird. And I'm starting to think I, it might be triggering. It, it might be triggering to go into that place, which is essentially an American high school. It looks like an American high school. It looks like the high school I went to. The hallways are just lined with lockers and the offices that are now offices, they look like classrooms. And you know, there's two floors or three. The uh, auditorium, the venue itself, this performance space is a high school auditorium. And I started to realize on stage last night, maybe it's making me a little vulnerable. Maybe it's making me not not in a good way, not in the intentional way. Something something strange, some sort of trauma trigger of what it was like to be in high school, man. I mean, I talked about it when I was on stage last night, but maybe I should give it a little more credence that it's a strange situation. I don't know when was the last time you went back to your actual high school. I think I went back, I don't know, it's probably been over a decade. But I'm really starting to think that because I felt a certain amount of insecurity, I felt I felt a little raw, a little weird, a little, 
in need of a type of acceptance that uh, I haven't really felt in a long time. And I'm starting to, I really think it has something to do with that structure, man, with the actual physical structure of a high school. Cause they look the same. Just those halls of lockers. I, there's gotta be part of your brain that kind of re just clicks back into that. Like, oh, I hope I don't run into that dude. Or I wonder if she's going to be at her locker today. I think I'm going to walk down the hall again before class. I wonder if I'm going to be late for class. I didn't do my homework. I think I'm going to ditch this class. Why doesn't those people, how come they don't like me? You know, should I smoke the cigarettes? Should I not smoke cigarettes? Is it okay to get high at lunch? Will that fuck me up for the rest of the day? I'm too high to be in this class. I better ask to go to the nurse so I don't sound like an idiot because when my teacher asked me to to read, I couldn't read. A lot of problems. A lot of things happened. Uh, Before I get too lost, I want to tell you who's on the show today. Uh, Bashir Salahuddin is here. Uh, I've worked with him on Glow. He's a great actor and a writer, and he's got a new sketch show out called Sherman Showcase, which he co-created and stars in. It airs Wednesday nights on IFC. He's also in season three of Glow With Me, which is now streaming on Netflix. Uh, Some other business at hand. Please go to swordoftrust.com to find out where that movie is playing. It's doing well. They keep adding theaters. And I, you know, I don't know what that means in terms of box office, but I know it's out there to see. It's still out there in movie theaters, so you can go have that experience, but it's also on demand. And as I said, you can go to sortoftrust.com to find that shit out. Go to WTFpod.com for my tour dates. I'll be in Dallas, Austin, Houston, Texas, August 22nd through 24th. A lot of other dates coming up. WTFpod.com slash tour. Ooh, man. What is happening? I uh, There's plenty of reasons to be, you know, out of sorts. And, um, but yeah, we... We lost a, 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 a very amazing creative mind and artist um, last week. Uh, David Berman um, committed suicide last week. And yeah, it's, it's kind of a rough one. You, you, I didn't know him well. And uh, I came to his work late. I don't know if a lot of you know him. Uh, his, he had a, a band called uh, Silver Jews. He was, uh, early on, he was he used to he used to perform and work with uh, Stephen Malkmus from Pavement, and they kind of split ways, I think, and uh, in turn, creatively, and Malkmus went to, did Pavement, and, um, but I enjoyed the work very much, and he was always an interesting character to me, David Berman. He wrote a couple of books of poetry, very thoughtful guy, and, and once I and he just had a record come out like a couple of weeks ago called uh, Purple Mountains, and it's a stunning record. And he hadn't really put out any new work in like eleven years because he was wrestling with things. He was a t- depressive guy. He uh, he had you know, uh, substance issues. He had a profound uh, problem and an almost mythic struggle with his father. And the only reason I know this again, I don't know him well, but once I was introduced to his work and I found out he lived in Nashville and I, I reached out to him to to do the podcast and before I went down to Nashville a few years back to perform and he got back to me and he and his wife at the time that they they came to a show and uh afterwards he said I, I don't want to do the podcast but why, why don't we why don't we hang out and talk get, get to know each other so we went out to a place and had something to eat and we sat there late at night in Nashville at a at a restaurant 
And he just told me the whole story, the whole David Berman story for a couple hours, you know, primarily focused on this struggle he has, he had uh, with his father, Richard Berman, who was sort of a public relations executive and lobbyist for like the worst of things, you know, alcohol, firearms, tobacco. And I, but it was just such a strain on, on David. And I, I just remember just really loving the guy just from not only his music, but then talking to him and just feeling the weight of this dude's heart, you know, and and then, you know, realizing that the work kind of came through that heart and that, you know, he was one of the great sort of navigators of, of darkness, uh, one of the, a light, you know, and he just recorded this great record and, and I reached out to him. I mean, I literally emailed him like, in on july 18th you know what is that like just a couple weeks ago it's the 10th i think he passed away on this just a few days ago on the 7th and like i just have this email exchange because i I love the record and um man it's just i I just wrote to him and i i I said you know i said i all i said was the new record is great if you want to come on the podcast it's an open invitation mark and on July 18th, he got back to me, said, Mark, I would be happy to do your show after a little more time has passed, say this winter or spring, when I've had time to reflect on what it's been like to jump back in the pool after 11 years sequestered inside. I'll give you better material and be a more charismatic guest, no doubt, after I've had time to make these necessary psychic adjustments. I don't want to show myself when I'm still in the process of making them DCB. And that was just a couple of weeks ago, less than three weeks ago. And then, you know, like four, four or five days ago, he, he hangs himself. It's hard, man. It's hard if you're sensitive, if you're teetering or you're prone to depression or unstable in those ways in your mind. And sadly, so much of that disposition lends itself to to a type of creativity that has to resolve existence in that darkness that has to find you need to to express yourself in order to get through it you know he was just i don't know this is sensitive struggling sweet guy who really did some amazing work and it's just fucking heartbreaking. And that kind of, yeah, it's weighing on me. You know, these suicides, there's been a few deaths. There's been always, there's a lot. And But when somebody makes that choice who had such a gift and such a sensitivity and it just buckled under the weight of it, it's it's just, it's really kind of heartbreaking. And I, I, do, I would like to, I just I was going through some of his poems and and I just go listen to the records really if you don't know David's work go listen to Silver Jews records or just even if you just want to get that new one Purple Mountains I mean it's it, it, you sadly you listen to it and in in light of what's happened you, it you can hear it but it's a beautiful beautiful record and and funny in some places too and 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 catchy and but anyways, uh, rest in peace, David Berman, you genius. And uh, 
and navigator of the dark places of the heart. And I, I'll just read this small poem that I found. I was looking around for one. And um, this is a poem called And the Others by David Berman. Some find the light in literature, others in fine art, and some persist in being sure the light shines in the heart. Some find the light in alcohol, some in the sexual spark. Some never find the light at all and make do with the dark. And one might guess that these would be a gloomy lot indeed. But no, the light they never see, they think they do not need. Fuck, man. Well, he will be missed, and there's a, a, a lot of great work that he did. And uh, again, I, I highly recommend you seek that stuff out and honor this guy because uh, he was the real fucking deal. Don't mean to bum anybody out, but I needed to do that to honor uh, an artist that, um, that, that had an impact on me. So now, Bashir Salahuddin is a uh, great guy, talented guy. I met him as an actor, didn't know much about him, worked with him on Glow, had a few small chats, then found out, you know, he used to be a writer for Fallon, that he done, he's done a lot of uh, writing in his own right. He's also... Uh, you know, he's acted in a lot of different things. He's in the new Top Gun movie, but I just didn't know a lot about him. And then when it came up that he's got this new show out, I'm like, fuck yeah. I want to talk to Bashir for sure. So this is me and Bashir Salahuddin. That's a tricky last name. I'm going to have to ask him about that. I did ask him about that. You know I recorded it already. Anyways, his uh, new variety sketch show, Sherman Showcase, which he co-created and stars in, airs Wednesday nights on IFC. He's also in season three of Glow with me, which is now streaming on Netflix. Uh, this is me talking to Bashir Salahuddin. Sometimes I wish I paid more attention in school, or in some cases, any attention at all. There are probably a lot of things I could have gotten more out of, like literature, and now it's probably not in the cards to go back to school and study the classics. But luckily for us, there's a new podcast called The Foxed Page that dives deep into the best books of all time. This is basically like the best possible college English class, but more relaxed and fun. No pressure of grades or needing to prepare something to say in class. It's only the books you want to read and know about presented by best-selling author Kimberly Ford. Everything from Cormac McCarthy to Madame Bovary, from classics like Frankenstein to modern hits like Lessons in Chemistry. I love Ireland, but I missed the boat on James Joyce. The Fox Page has a three-part series on Dubliners, and that's a pretty great starting point. Want to get the most out of what you read? The Fox Page is for you. Get it now wherever you get your podcasts. You've never done radio. I did uh, The Breakfast Club. You did? Yeah, yeah. Like you were a regular guy? No, no, no. I did it on uh, oh. the week, two weeks ago. It was cool. It was like educational. Really? I'm, I'm just learning. I don't what do you, a lot of this stuff, so I'm you, learning. What did you learn, Bashir? I learned <laughs> when I did that show, and I did, yeah. I did Questlove's podcast too, I learned the most important thing is that I have to pace myself because uh -huh. I came out 
trying to be, you know, funny. Not even just funny. I think that. Well, I know enough to know that that's a mistake and just embarrassing, and the audience hates it. <laughs> but I came out just high energy, and then right. I got tired. And then the last twenty minutes, they asked me the real the real questions they right. were there to ask me, and, and you already spent. Um, yeah, I was spent, and my energy was down, so I was being like honest. Oh yeah, you got and that. You know, tone. <laughs> <laughs> hey, let me tell you something. And being honest is not necessarily conducive to a career nowadays. I think uh, so you got to be careful about. Oh really? What you, I think so. I think you got to be careful what you divulge. I think people nowadays, especially if they don't know you, like they kind of get to know us. Uh, the people I'm working with now, they know me. They know you. Yeah, you're you're spoken for quantity. Right. You make sense. People get. They know what they're coming for. Yeah. With new folks, yeah. I feel like you're kind of listening for a reason to cut it off sometimes. I think there's so much stuff to look at. There's so many podcasts and videos and everything. So the minute somebody says something that you're like, I don't really, I'm not really feeling that. Really? Then, then I think people go, all well, right, that's my opinion about that person. Well, what was, oh, I see what you're saying. But like, what, like, what was it that, uh, like, honest about, like, so you're there. For- I was, I was honest. I was, I was, I, you know, look, I had a, a, a really traumatic development process at HBO before we had our current shows. I thought you were going to say childhood. I was like, where are we? Let's go. Let's go. And now it's just an HBO trauma? Oh, we, we, could oh, get, yeah. we could get the childhood we, we, trauma, too. We can bring it up. We can talk about all of it. You, you got PTSD from your a, HBO experience? I got a little PTSD from the HBO experience. <laughs> Dude, they, or- <laughs> they ordered us for the series after yeah. four years of working on it. Which one was that? This is Brothers in Atlanta. They oh, or- yeah, right. They ordered the series, and then we had a writer room. We are doing all this stuff. And then, so you're all set up. You set up shop. You're making a show. We're literally in this beautiful yeah. office. Oh yeah, Sherman Oaks. Oh yeah, we're there late at night. You know, with the you other won, guys. man. We're doing playing the darts. Oh no, we told our grandmothers. We yeah. sent them the. You're in show business now. I made it. Yeah, baby, I made it. Yeah, and it didn't even. It was hard, but it wasn't even. It wasn't even like excruciating. Yeah. Right. And then a couple months later, you know, there was just some. They, they we had, we could tell from the beginning right that we weren't on the same page with them about the content. But what was the show? It was uh, this is a half hour comedy uh, about two guys who go to Atlanta yeah uh, to sing backup and yeah. then he's such a he, his life is is in shambles so he decides just to stay and it's a, in current time oh yeah it's yeah modern uh, Maya Rudolph was in it playing this really funny over the top like R and B singer yeah who my character was a backup background singer for like her mom. Like her mom. It was really nice for her. She was actually excited yeah. to get to play a character like yeah. that because she doesn't really usually get to play yeah. that. Um, and so we did it and, and we were like excited. And then the article and we told our friends and we we're like, ha ha. And we're, you know, and yeah. then, you know, it wasn't even like a fun, quick death. It was like a slow, drawn out, nine month, no phone calls being returned, turning in drafts, oh, not so, hearing oh, notes for two oh. weeks. And then, you know, and it's just like that slow glacial death, that yeah. slow Hollywood. Like you don't know what's going on. No one's really telling no, you. No, you don't know anything. And then you one just... day you show up at work and they're like, oh, you don't, you didn't hear? Well, you know, it's almost like everybody in town always hears before you, right? Yeah, so yeah. So it's like you get a call from your agent like, hey, how you doing? Yeah. You're like, why the fuck are you calling me with that tone? <laughs> yeah. Why are you calling me with the something is terrible tone? <laughs> and that was it? It went away? They they, they, they didn't even call us. Somebody, they called our director and he called us and said, look, you know. It was. It was the the best part of it is, we were developing at the head of the network at that time. Who was that? Mike Lombardo. He says. Uh, he goes like, "Hey man, uh, this is really young and, and really black and really fresh, and I don't even get this." And that's what I love. I love it because I don't get it. <laughs> and we were like, "Hell yeah, motherfucker, you don't get it." And then when uh, when the guy called us to say they were going to not do the show, he's like, "Yeah, he just said he didn't get it." <laughs> and that was it. <laughs> That was it. That was game over for me. That was like my best Hollywood education. But you got paid a bit, right? I, I, mean, I didn't want the money. They gave us a little bit. By the way, it was not a lot. They gave us a little bit of like, sorry, we fucked you over money. Right. 
I'm prideful, right? Like an idiot. So mm. I told my agent, I was like, I don't want that fucking money. Fuck them. Take them, take their money and shove it up their ass. Really? Yeah, I did. But then my agent is smarter than me, and so <laughs> he, two months later, he did not tell them. She that. did not, Nancy. <laughs> two two months later, she goes like, Hey, so I still got that check here. Whenever you. <laughs> And I was like, yeah, we should probably take that. I should probably, should probably take that money. It's, like, it's one of those things where it's like whatever pride you may feel, you're not going to teach anybody a lesson there. You know, you're, I watch too much TV. I'm always like, oh, in 30 minutes, this is going to work itself out. It's like, no, it's not. This is going to be bad. Sometimes in life as, as a grown-up, shit is just bad. And it just, and then that's the end of that storyline. That just ends bad. Yeah, yeah, it didn't work out. No. Yeah, that's no... the thing. Yeah, it, it's like when people say, I had a moment with a, a, an editor once from a, a book I wrote <laughs> yeah. where I was like nervous about whether, you know, because it was coming out at a weird time. It was just after, uh, you know, 9-11. I'm like. <laughs> Are we sure this is a good time to launch? Yeah, it, well, it was, it was already on the books, you know. Okay, it was going to yeah. happen. And I wasn't expecting a lot, but I, I don't remember what I was talking to him about. And I just said, but it's going to be okay, right? He goes, yeah, or, or it won't. Yeah. And it's just like that one added sentence. Yeah. They, of course that's yeah. the other option. Yeah. And a lot of times it isn't. And it's the best way to fucking, you know, this whole so like, it, it's going to be okay bullshit. It's like believing in magic. It is like believing in magic. <laughs> and then the other thing that's bad is like, you know, for me, I, I put so much of my like personal joy into that show. Oh, yeah. And then that was the other lesson is like, you can't do that. You really have to like, and it's hard not to because- you can't even get anything to go forward unless you're so passionate about it that you're willing to talk about it right. all day, every day to a sure. million people. Yeah. But of course, you also have to be. This is, can I tell you a messed up analogy? Yeah. So there's this thing. Um, what am I going to say? No? no. No, please. I don't want any we don't analogies. Want any controversy on this. <laughs> no, this whatever. Anal- Welcome to the analogy free zone. <laughs> Everything is direct. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, what I was going to say. By the way, this is fucking badass. This Which one? Me, this reminds me of my dad. People. Oh, he had knives. He had one. He had like. I feel like when I, I, was, I grew up in the seventies and, and eighties, and I always feel like older men always had this. And, yeah, buck and knife. Right? Some kind of buck knife. I don't know. We live in Chicago. Knife. I don't know what the fuck he uses for. Yeah. Who knows? Like, but they're around. Yeah, we had knives. My dad was into knives. I don't. Yeah. What do you use it for? I just have it out there so people pick it up and say things about it. Okay. All right. (laughs) Well, you know what? Mission accomplished. Your dad had one of those. Yeah, 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 one of those. I was going to say really quickly, though. The uh, analogy. The analogy, man, is I was reading this story about um, slavery, which is uh, uh, obviously something that is a charged topic. And... uh, (laughs) But no, slave mothers actually used to not name or be affectionate with their kids. Really? Because they didn't know if the kid was going to get shipped away. And so they would purposefully- This is what, once they were here. Once they had the baby, yeah, right. they would purposefully distance themselves oh. because it was just too excruciating to give the amount of love that a normal mother intends to give and then to be like, oh, by the way, that baby that you loved yeah. in Ohio, yeah, yeah, and you're still stuck here in Mississippi, and you're like, God damn. So I say that terrible analogy to say that, unfortunately, I think in our business- that mentality can keep you sane, sadly. To, oh, to, to, oh, to be able to keep sure, some I distance from the things sure. you love because you just don't know if some executive somewhere is right. like, eh, I don't get this. Right. Well, that's true. I, you know, I, I mean, it's obviously a little different, but yeah, I think there is some. Well, yes, it's, it's a lot different, but, it, <laughs> but at its core. Yeah, emotions. It's the emotional the connection. The emotional connection. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, but, yeah, because you have to engage that part where it's like, well, this is a business. Yeah. This is a job. Yeah. I am a creative person. Right. You know, and you, you, you know, I know I put a lot into this, but you know, you, once you put it into the world of the of the the machine. Yes. Then the machine all of a sudden has power and. Yeah. Decisions and that's that. That's it. And there's you can fight your fight, but 
But that's why I'm always hesitant about like getting involved with movies, like you know, independent directors. I talk to them, like, sure, there's part of me that wants to direct a movie, write a movie, and direct a movie. But then you talk to these people, it's like I put six years in. Yeah, and uh, we did festivals, and now uh, you know, I think you can get it on Hulu. This Vimeo, I'm seeing your Vimeo, like. You can go to Vimeo on a that, Tuesday morning and type li- all this shit in real my, quick. Hold on, let me. It's my life's work. That's where it ended up. It, it's discouraging. <laughs> it is. You know, so I'm sort of like, I'll just keep an immediate. But uh, so you, oh, so you felt bad on the radio show for talking about the business in a way that you were disappointed. For, I felt, I didn't feel bad. That's not yeah. The truth is I didn't feel bad at all. But I felt like we have worked so hard to get to a point where we can show our work. You and Diallo? Me and Diallo. Yeah. Because at some point, you just want people to see it. You just yeah. want to be able to say, you know what? I did all this stuff. I just want people to look at it. Let me, you know, I'll, let me know what what people think about it. And you, you know, imagine, you know, I always liken what happened to me at HBO to being like at college for four years. Yeah, because we were there for four years. Yeah, and then on the day of graduation, you're like getting ready to graduate. And yeah. somebody from the school's, all right, man, you can get out of here. And you're like, well, the graduation's today. And they go, all right, well, you can leave. Yeah. <laughs> I don't get to go to the ceremony and get the, like, nah, no, but but you can get it. But hey, it's been fun for years. Yeah. And so there's just like this weird anti-climax. Sure. And you just have to live in that. Yeah. And there's no ladders out. There's no doorway yeah. out. There's no like, you know, rope ladder down into the well. Yeah. You're just like, uh, you're just there. And just all you gone. have is your loved ones and people who, you right. you really learn who cares about And you. And you have a couple of scripts. You have a couple of scripts. And you kind of look at them angrily. Like, you're like, yeah. ugh. I don't even want to. Four years, though. I mean, that's, that's not nothing. Much. So, but but the writing room wasn't up for four years. You the writing were... room was up for like four months. Yeah, right. So, that's like, you went camaraderie. Th- no, you went through the whole development process. Yeah. I've had deals before, and I've write, made you know, I had deals where I wrote scripts with guys, and yeah. they didn't get shot. You know, and but like when they not... announced it is going to air, though. No, no, that's bad, dude. That's I'm not trying to compare. I'm just trying to make you feel better. I, you it's a heartbreaking that. business, man. And then and like it, it never yeah. ends. It doesn't end, does it? I thought it. <laughs> I was watching- uh, The only time when it ends and it's okay is when you got money saved. And you're like, true. all right, that's gone. Yeah. Let's move on. That's kind of how I think about this whole this whole business at some point is like, you know, I'm going to keep doing the thing because I love it. Um, but I also, I really got to start looking at it as like a, you know- A business. We, a business. How are we getting money from this? How are we getting money from this? Right. Sucks because I don't want to think of it that way. I want to think no, of it I as like this me. beautiful, artistic- Picasso-esque life where I just sort of traipse around America creating yeah. content. Well, yeah, that, that's Being a, fed it. Yeah, that's Is that going to happen? No, no, it, can, it sure can happen. But there's- the, Even the, if it happens, it's probably for a short while. Well, it's no, not, that can happen, but I'm, there's not a lot of money in that one. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> I lived that life for years as a comic, just mm-hmm. me and my little notepad. Yeah. And uh, But I was bitter and I was miserable. I, I never got in it. I never got in it for the bread either. I mean, I got in it because I thought I had something to say, yeah. and I think I still do. Same. And it didn't really work out. The, the <laughs> regular channels of show business didn't work out for me. It wasn't yeah. until I set mics up in my garage that everything changed. Ain't that the way? Yeah, I guess, but I didn't know it was the way. I was just didn't want to kill myself. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like I got to do something. It's like you're trapped in this passion, and then you hear, you and know, there's no way out. There's I mean, no way out. I mean, you can't because if you're a pride, uh, prideful guy, yeah, I mean, sadly, there's no, there's no quitting, dude. I mean, it's oh, I mean, you're in this, but you know, you seem to like you're doing, you write, you produce, you act. I mean, yeah. you've given yourself a lot of options. Like, I have. For me, I was just a comic, right. and I and I never wanted to write for anybody, so I I was kind of limited, and I knew that, but too late. I'm yeah. like, if I was a grown up person and not a fuck you person, I would have figured out how to work with other people yeah. when I was 25. Yeah, that's Where, true. I, I feel I've really t- to that point, like. 
I think the other, you know, speaking of things that are really that, that I don't bring to the table, right? I think America needs to know what I don't bring to the table. I think that's they've been waiting. I, I don't do. <laughs> this, everybody's like, "What does he not bring?" To the <laughs> this is where it's going to get is, good, honey. You got to <laughs> check this wait, Come in here. <laughs> listen, put, <laughs> take the apron off. <laughs> sit down. Uh, listen, this, I was a fifties household. Yeah. So I was just going to say, glad that, you caught that one. Well, I think America needs to know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, what do you not bring to the table? I don't. I'm, I don't like the mingling. At the parties, at the Hollywood parties, <laughs> and I feel like yeah. it's so important to our to our business that when you go to those fucking parties, I've seen you at a few. Yeah, I do. You gotta right. talk. Well, you yeah. You, I mean, you know, but I don't. Love I, I it. think you gotta go up to the people and, yeah. and small talk them, and I I don't enjoy it. No, it's terrible. It's because it, a lot of times, like people it, who do that. I think their careers are, are better off. It's, it's most of the business, man. Mm-hmm. It's, it's one of the problems in a way, but it's most of the business. Like the if chatty. they remember you, like, oh, that's that guy. I yeah. like that guy. He's like, a good guy. Yeah, bring him in. You know what? Let's not kill this project. Yeah. Because well, it's I that mean, level of it can be. whim. I it, think it is. Yeah, because it's like the money's not the same. They're not, no. you know, the risk is, is different now. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's true, but I, I don't like going. See, like, once I get there, I'm okay. Uh-huh. Once I get there and, like, someone's like, Mark, and I'm like, hey, you know, I can lock in. But the 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 actual, like, am I going to go or not? Yeah. Like, I don't want to fucking go. I anymore. remember, actually, because, you know, again, I, I, I tell you that our, our death at HBO was glacial. Yeah. So I remember one time there was another party we had to go to, and this is after- After the, the death? As we were dying. As, you know, as For I- For an like, HBO thing? William Faulkner, as I lay dying. Yeah. This they were like, hey, come to this thing, yeah. And of course, I was like, talk to my agent. I was like, oh, should I? I mean, I'm so sad all the time. I don't even want to go. <laughs> Clearly, the shows. She's like, oh, just go. You never know. You got to talk to people. It's part of the business. Uh-huh. And I'll never forget. I was getting. It, I was in my room putting on my clothes, and I just started weeping. And then <laughs> my wife came in. She's like, what's up? And I was like, we got to go to this party. We- weeping in your nice clothes. Weeping in the tuxedo on the way to a party. And I was like, this this is not as advertised, Hollywood. <laughs> Not, not supposed to be did, this way. did you stop crying once you got there? <laughs> like right before we got out the car, and then I just like wiped my eyes and like went out there with a big smile on my face. That's it. There you go. Show Dude, business. You got to learn how to eat crow in this business, and I think that is one of the things I've had to do a lot of, which I'm proud of, is that you do have to learn how to eat crow. And Wait, but like, was that well? I mean, where'd you grow up? South Side of Chicago. You did. Oh, Where, man. did Eighty third and Halstead, seventy second and Constance. For real, for real. The whole, the whole, oh, the whole yeah, journey. Yeah, yeah. I remember. Yeah, it was. It's interesting because. I, I feel like the city, you know, we have a show about it, but I feel like the city, um, I think it's slightly better now than it was even a couple of years ago. Oh, yeah. I feel like it was, there were some rough spots when I was growing up, and I think it got worse. Were you involved with any, like, because I've talked to cats who were, like, there's a few guys, Dion Cole. Love him. Uh, uh, Lil yeah. Rel Howery. Yeah, he's on our show, too. Yeah, like, those are all Chicago guys. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And yeah. I, I've talked to like I've 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 talked to them about coming up in that in that zone. Yeah, they're very different. Like Dion, you know, is sort of like a nerdier guy. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Lil Rel is like he, you know he was in it. Well, he's a West Side guy too. Right, he has a South Side. Oh, I, he's I not, think I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. I know D, I know Rel's from the West Side. Um, and What's I'm the difference? I don't know. Chicago. It's a, you know what it is? I only know the part of Chicago where I eat uh, pizza and I hey, you know, have a nice time. Exactly. <laughs> like a lot of people do. They, they, those restaurants are in my neighborhood. I've, I've, I've heard there's a bad part. You know, I don't even want to call it that. No, I don't either. I felt bad for saying it just then. No, it's cool, man. America's got to know the truth, guys. Yeah, it's uh, not bad. <laughs> don't you know be. What it is? <laughs> there was somebody I heard this one time, and I think it's so true. It's like the South Side of Chicago is a place with you know hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of great people, and about a thousand assholes. Yeah. And if you look at actually 
who is causing the problems? Who's the one that is making it unsafe? You know, I feel that a, way about a, the whole a country. Small amount of people. I feel yeah. that way about the whole country in the sense that yeah, there's like mostly good people, but yeah. there's these horrible assholes. But they have friends and family that yeah. believe the same thing they do. They and do, that, and then that brings the it brings the number up. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and, and the sort of live and let live uh-huh. vibe that I think is so valuable is people don't feel that way. People mm. feel, like. I always say, like, I'm not even on Twitter or any of that stuff. Um, oh, really? I, yeah, Can't I, take it? Well, I, re- I, I mean, at some point, I'm like, well, I have 2,000 followers. Does anybody care what I'm saying? Like, come on. Right. And it doesn't really matter. But also, I, two things. I found myself looking at it for sure. every, I would say, for 10 minutes every hour, every hour, yeah. the whole day. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, I don't think I'm getting anything out of this. I'm like, I don't know if this is improving my life at all. Looking at these pictures that somebody took all this time taking for eight, one eighth of a second. Have you? But have you? Like, I go on there. I don't really tweet that much because I, I don't want to fight with. I think uh, you kind of have to be on at this point. Well, I guess, yeah. but you know, I only I got to a point like after Trump got elected where I'm not going to engage with these fucking you know Jew hating monsters right. you know over politics mm-hmm. with you know two followers because I get triggered real easy. So like I just pulled out smart and i pulled out because it's like you know it's not going to be funny for a while yeah and then once i did that eventually i'm like what do i need to do this at all for and occasionally i'll have these little flurries but i'll always go check because you know i'm i'm on there i gotta want to see who, who liked it who liked yeah right yeah. Yeah, or or what people are saying and then <laughs> and also you have to learn how to take the hits from the trolls the troll hits that's like this weird thing that sensitive people have to learn how to acclimate to it's like okay that hurt yeah don't engage with it and move on. It's, It'll it's, pass. Yeah, I mean, for me, I'm always like, do people know that there's such a thing as an unexpressed opinion? Like that's a not thing. anymore. Why? But, why, but why I think should that's they? a lost art. I think yeah, it's a lost fuck, art for, for fucking fucking sure it is. Yeah, I don't I mean, know I've, why you need me to know how you feel. Like I don't need to know how you feel. And guess what? I'm not going to tell you how I feel. And not even know. It's not. I don't even know who you are. Yeah, exactly. You don't even have a name. It's like I've actually said, and I and I'm kind of regretted. I'm like maybe it's not great that everyone yeah. has a voice. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. It. it, it Everybody now is like the star of their own show and yeah. the most important person in their own, which I think was always the case with human beings. But I do think that social media. But at least before it was a delusional. Yeah, it was. now it's like active. Yeah, it's out in the world. People really do feel like you know. I've seen guys online with like 27 followers being like, yo, man, you know what I'm saying? I just got to clear some things up. I'm like, no, you don't. <laughs> you don't have to clear anything up. Nobody. No one gives a shit. It's not like he's a top story you, in the news. Yeah, it's yeah, like, hey, man. Why don't you just call the 20? 20- hey, Deontay <laughs> Jones from Memphis, man. Y'all heard about what happened at that party, right? But he's going to be on the day. He's going to clear that up for us. Guys, we're going to get some answers from Deontay. And it just feels like, what an odd time uh, That's to a funny I never, bit. I never expected That's a funny bit. I know, man. I, I, I envy uh-huh. stand-ups because I've always admired it and I've never been. Why don't you try it? It's time. Uh, it is time, yeah. I, this is, you know what's funny? There's a little small club in uh, Sherman Oaks. It's called the Oyster Bar. Yeah. And they just have really bad stand-up. Oh, they got and like a, a, one, it's, it's an, open a, a weekly thing? A weekly open mic. Yeah. And I'm like- perfect yeah, That's right. yeah no one knows yeah, nobody just knows. slip in and of course i told some people like oh we're gonna tell people i'm like no, don't don't don't, yeah. don't do that shit don't yeah tell people so tell people. now that, how many like the south side of chicago so south side what, of chicago yeah I, I grew up there how many brothers and sisters uh well there's there were six of us who grew up together yeah there are eight of us total my parents my dad is originally from panama really yeah came to america uh his his father came over you know, one of these typical immigrants, super duper smart, had to come over here and work in a parking garage or something. His dad, your grandfather. My grandfather. Yeah. He brought over the first three kids, with yeah. his wife, but they had six. Mm. So my dad was part of the three that got left in Panama for like, I think, a couple years, which is yeah. traumatic. Then they came over. 
they had to then they came to the south side of Chicago because every every immigrant picks a place where other immigrants are. That's yeah. to figure this thing out in America. They came over and south side of Chicago, luckily they were black, even though they were Latin, so they kinda blended in until right. they spoke and then people were like, You don't sound right, my man, where you from, brother? <laughs> and I you know, I've even heard my dad say this when we were out, like even when I was an adult, somebody's like, Where your accent from? He's all from the South. Yeah. I'm like, Man, you from South America. Like, don't pretend <laughs> so uh but they came over yeah and then he went to college uh i met my mom southern illinois university she's from west side of chicago and then they converted to islam uh-huh in 1971 72 but i was born in 76 so they're like when the first wave the first <laughs> the very first wave of like the movie malcolm x yeah like they were in there my yeah. parents were in there but then there was a split in 76 uh. where some people stayed with farrakhan and stayed with the idea of black nationalism, and then my parents, uh, this other guy, Elijah Muhammad's son, Wallace Muhammad, mm-hmm. said, "No, no, we got to be more mainstream." Right? And they actually, I believe it or not, I actually grew up being taught that Farrakhan was like a demagogue because of how my parents had been there and been like, "No, no, we don't do racism." They saw it happen. Do. Were they? They were there for the whole thing. But what really happened was that Elijah Muhammad passed, and so there was a split. Like all things, whenever there's a lot of power, yeah. and an important person leaves. Now we got to figure out who really has the power. So you come from the school of, of American Muslim thought. Of, I come from uh, the school where my dad. It's for everybody. It's for everybody. You know, when I was growing up. Yeah. And I, I kind of appreciated it because we were Muslim. So we were like outside the mainstream. Yeah. And I think it was kind of cool that I got a sort of um, an education on how to not be part of the crowd. Right. Like that was really helpful, healthy. And I think, you know, even with my own children, I'm trying to be like that way. So you got to really learn how to think on the outside so that you're not ever swept up in yeah, you know, groupthink. Yeah, and also so you know and also so you can know who you are exactly. when groupthink starts to creep in. Exactly. So I, mean, I grew up, yeah. That's what I try to tell people just in general. It's yeah. like it's happening, man. Oh yeah. Nobody believes it. Yeah, and it's like, you know, you better know who the fuck you are mm-hmm. and what you stand for and what your real values are because yeah. People are going to start buckling to the fear, mm-hmm. and you know whether or not they're going to wear the hats. Uh, that that <laughs> that might not be the issue, but they're definitely not going to. They're not going to get your back. No, no, you it's, it's it's interesting. I I always assumed when I was in uh, in college in 1998, there was this idea that we were at the end of history. Uh-huh. This is like the Bill Clinton era, right? Like, well, you know, the the superpowers are kind of settled, and everybody kind of knows what the yeah. alliances are. Globalism is intact. Globalism is. In, are we at the end of history? Uh-huh. And then. I think that's one of the best lessons about life is that mm, you don't know anything. Just wait. Yeah, too many Wild, thinkers. Wild, crazy shit could happen any yeah. second. Sure, yeah. Look at the history of humans. Yeah. Whatever whatever intellectual concept you're toying with in yeah. your fucking brain, yeah. you still got to deal with incomprehensible, crazy humans. Who you don't know and who have who, ideas yeah. that aren't the same as yours. Yeah, and if they get enough people on board with certain ideas, they yeah. kill their neighbors. That's <laughs> That's the, the, it's yeah. one of you know one of the reasons that I am not religious when I, anymore is as I was growing up just naturally because luckily my mom was very much a um, she was a very big independent thinker she uh-huh. constantly 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 pushed us to think for ourselves yeah and as I got older I was just like wait a second so we're in this religion but you telling me if somebody was born just in a different part of the universe then then they're wrong and going to hell and right. my, even then my brain was like that that doesn't make any. That yeah. No what the, what's the point then? Yeah. Why even bother doing anything if it's a roll of the dice? Right. 
and you might be wrong, and thank God we happen to be right. And then I was like, but everybody feels like they're right. And this is I was like 11, 12 years old. Oh, that's a good one to have then. And then my mom was like, yeah, you're right. You know, <laughs> there was no, my dad was like, no, no, brother, you should read this book some more. I was like, okay. My mom was like, oh, you're right, you should. She actually, God bless her, she gave me my first taste of alcohol growing up too. Oh yeah. I'm that, just putting her on blast. That was right a good now. thing? We were at a wedding, it was beautiful. It, I gotta tell you, it was one of the best things, it's one of the best things in the world where there's this thing. It's weird, because in, yeah. in an alcoholic's life, that's not the, the great part well, luckily, of the story. I, I, my yeah. bout with alcoholism was much later, so thank God. <laughs> but my uh, my mom, we were at a wedding, and she had this little, uh, there was a bottle cap. Yeah. She poured a little bit of champagne into it. Yeah. She said, you want to taste this? I was like, hell yeah, I want to yeah. taste that. Mom, my brothers and I passed it around. We were like, ooh, this is weird. Yeah. And she's like, well, that's what that is. And it was kind of cool that like she was introducing us to the world right. that we had been sort of told was, was you know, like almost like an omelet. Oh, because you can't drink. Can't drink, can't eat pork, can't yeah. celebrate Christmas. Right. And your neighbors worship the wrong God. Right. You know, and all this stuff. And yeah. this is like, you know, but I will say uh, one thing my dad always said growing up, which I always appreciated. He was like, you know, this is the best country to be a Muslim. Right. Is America because this is the only country where anybody who has any religion can can practice it the way they want to. We don't yeah. have a government enforcing being like, oh, that dress is too short. You're going to go spend a day and a half in a in an right. education center. Yeah. Or something Not like yet. that. Well, that seems to be happening. That's all changing. So <laughs> you were in the glory days. <laughs> my dad was wrong, man. That no, he was wrong. right for the time. At that time? Yeah. Yeah. The question is how bad is how do you think it can get to that point? You of believe course. so. I, I I I was. It's not a good day Thought to ask police, me. Morality police. They they don't need to have those because we already have them inside of us. People that, are doing it for the government. Yeah, absolutely. That you know now when you have this type of divisiveness. Yeah. There's plenty of workplaces in certain parts of this country yeah. where people are already afraid to talk. Yeah. About their beliefs. Yeah. Or about what they think is right or wrong. And rightfully so, because they will get told on. They'll get told on, or they'll be, uh, you know, uh, exiled, yeah. or, 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 or. Uh, I mean, not always fired, but you know, it's not going to be a comfortable work environment. No, it won't. So, like, so isn't that the same? It, it as is, the thought police. It's, you know, it's 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 a slippery slope. It's like the thought police is people, like I said, you know, Deontay in Memphis policing himself right. on his social media for fear of. Yeah, I just don't think all those weirdest. Uh, yeah, those those those. I don't think all those uh, in, the infrastructure of authoritarianism in the culture we live in now, because of how powerful the media is. Uh -huh. You know, you can it just going to be yourself. Yeah. It's going to be already in there. The 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 notion of what what is true and isn't has already been you know kind of just hazed or or you know now that's that's not it's not solid. Right. So that means it's fucking wide open for whack jobs. Yeah, I saw something yesterday. This woman said, you know, you we we were all taught growing up that uh, I saw this on Reddit. She was like, we're we we're growing up that the source of uh, ignorance is a lack of information. And she was like, that's wrong. Yeah. We have. We have so much information now that people can pick and choose which facts they follow. Right. And that is an incredible moment that I never would have saw coming in history, that you can literally have two people, and you're watching them talk on TV, and you're going, you guys are operating on different sets of facts. And, like, and also, waste like, time. once you enact, once you sort of embolden, you know, nut jobs mm -hmm. who have an ideology, like, you know, all these, like, shootings, right, they happen in all these different places, so by not engaging any sort of gun control laws, mm -hmm. and, and you have a, a president and a cultural momentum that is sort of inflaming nut jobs. Yeah. It's like, it's all done for them. You don't need to put any kind of like weird, uh, you know, uh, Gestapo out there to keep people in their homes. You know, people, people are just- self, People the, are self-gestopping. Yeah. 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 It's like, I'm not going to go to that fucking rock show. <laughs> what a-
What a, you know. I'm sorry. And so I guess no, the, I just wish it was a better a, time. I wanted it to be more day. fun. It is, uh, yeah, I it's a up. bad day for this, uh, for me, in my head. I tell you, I read an email, because uh, my wife and I were looking to buy, but we still rent, and I yeah. had an email from my landlord this morning, and I was like, I should not have read this before I came here. It, it fucked my head up. The long and short of it is that uh, there was a home repair that wasn't getting done, mm-hmm. and so we finally did it, and mm-hmm. of course now the shit's hit the fan of like, you guys weren't supposed to fix that thing. And so it's like that. And... Yeah, it's 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 one of those things where like we were like, okay, so clearly we should just buy a house because if we're going to deal with this, we might as well just be the the ones on the hook for you it. You did the work, and now did the, all the work, and did they, it well too, really nice. And they're and like, now no. she's like, no, nah, I'm not paying for that. So it is what it is. Um, I just say that to say that, like you said this morning, yeah. I was like, uh-huh. you know, you see certain things. Oh yeah, it just fucks you. I'm, yeah. I'm very sensitive. Me too. And Break. I'm like, I don't want to. I'll tell people like, no, you can't do that right now because that's gonna fuck up my whole day, and I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want you to fuck my day up right now. I'm trying to be in a good mood. <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. The you, you, the mood killer is the thing you have in your hand all times. Yeah, I can with one, but with one movement of my thumb, I can destroy my whole sense of well being. I'll, I'll see an article and I'm like, don't no, read this. Don't, don't, don't fucking read this shit because <laughs> you, you're gonna know how you feel about the shit as soon as you read it. You're gonna be mad, and you're gonna susp- you know, like a lot of people nowadays, spend a lot of time in the shower having fake arguments with people you're not really talking to. Oh yeah, yeah, making yeah. incredible points. Yeah, yeah. And having room for the people yeah. applaud your erudition, right? Yeah, like, right. But really. Yeah, for, people try yeah. that shit online and, and get destroyed. And you're yelling at that guy in Memphis. I'm yelling at him, man. Because <laughs> he he shouldn't have did that shit, bro. Yeah, that was right. fucked up, Deontay. Deontay, you're right. <laughs> but, hey, man, I just want to clear some things up. <laughs> so what was it? So is Ooh, that how you got the name? Chicago. What? What? Bashir. Yeah. 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 Uh, that's where the name comes from. What kind of what it's kind Arabic. of name is your last name? Is it all Arabic? It's all Arabic. It's man. made up. Well, it's not made up. It's, it's Arabic. It's no, I get it, but I mean, that was your dad's real name. No, my dad's. Brother, what you mean real? You and mean I, a slave name? <laughs> you saw Malcolm X. Come on, man. I'm sorry. I, yeah, I, <laughs> no, no. Right. My dad's original uh, last name from his slave masters yes. was Boyce. Uh, and then before that, it was Gaskin. Here's what I think was cool. He and my uncle yeah. both became Muslim at the same time. And they picked a new name, which is that one, Salahuddin, for the whole family. Uh-huh. So they were like, we're just going to do this whole new thing. Kind of like, you know, you just change the whole family name. Right. And they did. Yeah. And then they were like, we want to make sure that at every educational level, these kids have problems. And they made sure that every substitute teacher, every 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 school from? I went to, yeah. man, what kind of name is that? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, but, but like, I kind of, I don't see that as traumatizing. I see it as empowering. Sure. Because it helped me sharpen my own sense of humor and it helped me get some thick skin, which I think is kind of necessary. People don't really have that anymore. But weren't there other Muslim families? Um, uh, you know, for a long time, we were at the Muslim school. But right. then after sixth grade, that ended. We had to go to, because the school only went up to six. That's, oh, yeah. That, so you had to take your name and go into the real world. We had to take world. our name and go to that public school with them public school kids. <laughs> and you get in there and sit down. You, you like It feels like that first day at Shawshank. You yeah. know what I'm saying? You're just like, hey, what's up, man? Hey, hey look at this guy. You're yeah. like, uh oh. Yeah. But but I will say, um, another misconception about growing up in the hood is, you know, when I grew up there, there were actually guys who would protect the smart kids. Yeah. Like, Don't touch that kid. Oh yeah? Leave that kid alone. Absolutely. So oh. They were like OGs, like gangsters, like yeah. killers. Yeah. Who were like don't touch this kid. Yeah, like, he he might get out of here. He might. Yeah, exactly. Don't <laughs> bother those kids. And so, you know, there was really a distinction. And I think, unfortunately, like for example, what happened in Chicago with a lot of those guys were killed or put in jail. Mm. I think one of the reasons the violence in Chicago had increased is because there was no more, there was no more mentorship. Mm. I mean, it sounds terrible to say that, but there were no more OGs keeping the young boys in line. So now you could have a group of young guys on the block just start calling themselves a gang. 
there was nobody to give them the proper orientation right. uh, of how this the works. The road, yeah. none of that stuff. And then the next block over, you have kids calling themselves the very same gang. Yeah, and they kill each them. other. Yeah, and it's all obviously based around economic opportunity. There's just there's just such a, a lack sometimes. But you of saw that growing up, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, would, I remember being on a bus um, on 79th Street, and you know, because I'm a naive kid and like a, a nerd. And we were going, and I just hear pop, 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 and yeah. everybody in the bus hits the deck. Yeah. And I'm looking around, and some person's like, get your ass down. Because I was like looking around like, what was that? Yeah. Because I'm naive. I'd never heard that before. How old were like, you? I was, uh, I think this was sophomore year, freshman year in high school, so I must have been 14, 15. Yeah. Um, and it was like eye-opening, because I was like, damn, I could have been going just like that. Didn't even occur to me. Yeah. Not, it's not even aimed at you. No, it, just it rarely around. is. Right. It rarely is. Usually, uh, unfortunately, a lot of times when you read about Chicago, it is like, you know, they're aiming at this other person. Right. And then, and just, oh, yeah. but there's a mother and a child walking yeah. through. And so, or, or in that room over there. That's the scariest that's one. That's the worst. Somebody like, you know, some poor woman at home yeah. just trying to watch Jeopardy. Yeah. And, and then just, something comes through the window. Yeah. And it's just like, well, what the fuck? What are you gonna, but then I was thinking, like you know, because I, I want to stay in this morbid place. Yeah. Then I was thinking, like when I'm, I was when I'm I was for it. when I was living in New York, there was this poor guy. He was literally walking through Central Park. A tree branch fell and killed him. <laughs> yeah. And I just said, "Well, shit." Yeah. This guy's probably living on the Upper East Side. Yeah. He's probably on the phone with like you know the guy who's gonna get him Mets tickets. Yeah. And being just, like these boom. aren't good enough. Yeah. Tree tree branch. So yeah, bad timing. Yeah, hey, but it's, it's a what little are you gonna do. It's a little different. Yeah, there was. There was once again, it's a lot different. But yeah. it is. It does tell you that. <laughs> no, but there's no. You know, you can't really be safe on this planet, right? I mean, we kind of all live under this sort of expectation that at any sure, moment it's kind of random. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can that do makes things, it more exciting, right? A little bit. I guess, but I mean, you can do things to you know sort of insulate yourself. I mean, yeah. that's sort of the idea of uh, you know shifting the quality of work. Why people live in certain communities or don't do certain activities? Yeah, you know, is to lessen the possibility. I think it's a terrible but, way to live. Yeah, I think so I guess, but I mean, you know, we all kind of do it. You know, like I'm not going to go rock wall climbing. I'm right. too old for that shit. There's guys way older than you who do that shit, though. Yeah, I know, but they make no that fucking. Decision. There's also guys way older than me that fall down and break their fucking necks. Yeah, and they're in it, but no, that's not a tree branch because everyone's like, "Well, he's a fucking idiot. He's seventy. Yeah. Maybe he shouldn't have done that. He shouldn't have been <laughs> walking in his house." <laughs> I guess. Is the... Well, well, I mean, walking in your house is different. If that happens to you, <laughs> that happens all the time with the hips. Oh, with the hips, yeah. The yeah. number one causer of hip replacements is uh, household stairs. Oh, I'm scared yeah. of these. I got some fucking. You got some, stairs. yeah. I, I I keep looking at them like those are going to be my. I think demise. the cats are going to save you. Are you going to be? Oh yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah they're nah, going to be real helpful. They're going to be helpful at all. And they're they're having trouble <laughs> with their hips. They're both 15. So oh, man, good for you. A couple of them are old ass cats, and then the black one is uh, young. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Buster. You got to have a young black he, cat around. Yeah, yeah, you got to. Yeah, they keep things lively. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> With his jazz music. Exactly. And his, <laughs> his reefer cigarettes. Exactly. Uh, all right, so you're there. So, yeah. And what do what you, now you said you got- Born and raised in Chicago. But there's six of you? Well, there's four boys and two girls. It's a religious family. Um, my, uh, growing up on the south side of Chicago, dad was an airplane mechanic. Oh, really? Yep. It was kind of cool. Out at O'Hare? At uh, Midway. Oh. This is before. Yeah, yeah. Actually, no, Midway's still there. Yeah, it is still but there. But before, it was Midway Airlines as well. Right. I remember that. It used to be so, literally an airline, and we would go, and I'll never forget it, that it was all these pretty stewardesses who would flirt with my dad in front of my mom, and yeah. she'd just be like, these bitches ain't shit. Yeah. And I'll never forget that growing up, because they had no respect. <laughs> and I was like, man, the 80s is cool. And we would just fly all over America. Did you guys? We flew everywhere. Standby. 
we had to dress up. Yeah. Five, you know, black kids in the airport in little suits and ties <laughs> and dresses. Because if the airline employees yeah. take their family on a standby trip, they have to represent the airline. Well. Right. And so we were really well behaved. Yeah. But I do think that uh, I, I do I do cherish that growing up. We really traveled all over. To oh, that, that you were afforded that luxury because your old man. My old man used to fix airplanes. Yeah. Oh, and he, and he wanted to travel. Love traveling. Oh, that's love traveling. Are they still around? My parents. Yeah. Uh, my dad is remarried. He's in Arizona. He has two new kids. Yeah. Um, he has his youngest son has my same birthday. So I was like, that's "Oh, you trying to replace me? Yeah. What the fuck?" <laughs> he did replace. He you. did replace me. Yeah. He replaced all of you. He did. Two new kids. He had a new wife. He got to do everything. Yeah. He, he started over. And then uh, my mom still lives in Chicago. I just saw her a couple of days ago. How's she doing? She's doing good. She's in all my stuff. Yeah. She, you know, I, I constantly pick her brain for ideas. She's the reason I have a sense of humor. You know, she's one of the when most did they split up? people. They broke up around the year 2000. So they were together like 25, 26 years. Oh, so you're I, pretty grown. I was grown. Yeah. I was grown. I, I just felt like helpless because I was in LA, poor, Yeah, a PA at Warner Brothers. They were having a really messy divorce. Yeah. And I just felt so helpless. And yeah. it's one of those things where I think that young adult, time is is really helpless because you don't have any money and yet you sort of physically and emotionally know yeah that that there should be some way to be helpful and there's no way to be helpful I mean, yeah and, I in that do. situation it's so like then you just like do you pick sides who are you yeah, gonna talk yeah, I pick the side i was on her side yeah it was easy <laughs> yeah, me too. My, my <laughs> i was surprised it took so long to break up i was like yeah i should have broke up much earlier <laughs> oh this fucking fighting this is too much people don't behave like this your yeah. parents i'm sorry what no, my parents go. I was like in my thirties, and I like I knew what side I would pick. How'd you feel about it? Well, it's hard because I had to, you know decide who to live with, and you know. <laughs> <laughs> the parents were like, "FY, they share time." This is your you know? fault. No, I That's mean, when like, people always when, when I see like these guys on the news being like, "Man, I didn't grow up with my father," I'd be like, oh, you know what? Uh, maybe you got sometimes easy. it's good." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not all of us who grew up with him. It wasn't like my dad. I, here's the thing: I I love him today, yeah. and I honor him. He did some incredible things. He raised six kids. All of us went to college. Yeah, traveled. He provided for us. We traveled. We never needed anything in our lives. And his credit, I didn't even have a curfew growing up. Yeah. His whole thing was just don't bring it to me. Like, like. But he also instilled you with some sort of moral oh, yeah. no, compass. No, no. He had, let me tell you, he had us out there every morning on the weekends picking up garbage in the neighborhood, going door to door, not trying to be helpful. Like, he definitely forced us to be helpful to be of service and to be of service so mm -hmm. you know to this day i still get up early in the morning yeah and i still have this sense of you know he's an immigrant so he's yeah. got that immigrant work ethic right and uh so i still had that so yeah. there's a lot of things where i'm just like man this has been so you know i'm so lucky right to have that but on the other hand it's like there's a lot of arguing yeah um, and a lot of uh, instability and i think that it's not good for kids to to see all that i'd to rather go through the insanity i don't think so no i think it's better for them to be in two different households and see two people who are really happy and then one household where people are miserable i think i think every every marriage that you should live in different houses my wife oh i shouldn't even say that but the other day she <laughs> jokingly brought that up and then you know how somebody jokes and then nobody like corrects the joke we were right. both, like walking like if we had enough money we could do that <laughs> yeah she could live on one end of the block <laughs> Because, you know, I'll say this, love is really, uh, uh, and I don't typically like talk about my relationship. Right. I, always, I always feel like the best way to lose my relationship is to talk about it. Sure. But I'll talk, I bring this up to talk about myself. Right. Love, 
when you really have it for real, mm-hmm. it absolutely changes you, and you absolutely learn who you really are. Right. Because for years, I was single, I was in New York, I was dating, I was traveling, I was like, this person, psh, whatever, boom, boom, boom. Yeah. And it's not until you start to say, well, this person is going to matter, and th- this is going to be meaningful, that you start to learn your all your inadequacies. And I didn't even realize I had an anger problem. Really? Yeah, my dad had one. I was like, ah, it's him, not me. And then I got in a relationship. I was like, oh, no. You didn't Where? have a lot of crying women in your life? No, I had a lot of of neglected women. I had a lot of people who would like write me letters and be like, you know, I came to New York to see you. Yeah, we hung out for an hour. You're a piece of sh-. like that kind of stuff. Oh, so you weren't a rager? No, no, no. Just never. a simmering for, anger for guy. What? Why would yeah. I? But I know I never even got mad. Why yeah. would I get mad? There was no stakes. Huh? There was zero stakes. It was uh-huh. like, I don't care. Do what you got to do. It yeah. was very like I don't. Care. And it wasn't until somebody totally mattered that I realized like, oh. I have all this, and it's you know the work continues to this day. Sure, of course, but it's it's. I felt embarrassed that I had to do that much work to myself in my thirties. I was like, God damn, I am all fucked up. Yeah, I'm I'm fifty five and I'm going to therapy in two hours, and I you know and I and I and I just started again. Yeah, no, it's it's an every like if you it's an ever evolving process, but yeah. I think that's a good point you make that when you when you do finally find yourself in a, in a relationship where it matters. Yeah. Where you want to be your best, your best self, or just stop yelling, yeah, and stop sending like three page text messages. I literally had to block her on so, on my phone before you, so that I wouldn't text her. her a fucked up thing. Oh, because she got in there, because she's in my heart, in yeah. my head, and yeah. all of a sudden I'm jealous. Yeah. I didn't know I was a jealous person. I oh was yeah, never jealous. That's I didn't a, give a fuck. Oh, dude, it's the worst, man. When 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 you you spend your life with this kind of emotional uh, disposition it's that barrier. gets you through. Yeah. But but then when somebody gets in there, then all of a sudden the whole structure starts to shake. Oh, the whole thing falls apart. <laughs> yeah. It was like a house of cards. And it wasn't even like, like well, I'm like, well, she's never going to see me cry. Yep, check that off the list. <laughs> she's never going to see me raise my voice at a party. Check that off the list. And God bless my wife. She was very patient. Um, yeah. Again, it's because she would look at me like I was an alien because her family, I've been around them. They don't, they don't encounter each other like that. I know. You yeah. go to these people's houses, you go you see these people's families and you're like, Y'all just sit in the same room all day and yeah. just kick it? <laughs> yeah, we just sit in the same I know that's you know what it is? I liken it to there are people like I'm very fortunate in that. I used to have trouble sleeping it's and not, it's not another slave analogy, is it? I got three more slave things <laughs> before we get off here. I have a lot of them. <laughs> because we, you know what it is? Slavery just can, I just can we switch so slavery just it, it kill it baffles me because it's so like devastating and it's so incredible and it's so hard to believe and it also kills me because it wasn't that long ago no man it was like kind of recent yeah and and so what i'll say is and i'm gonna you know i'm gonna be a little bit on my uh my uh civil rights high horse right here but i do feel like i'm always um heartbroken yeah when i see people disparaging black neighborhoods disparaging crime statistics that yeah. are in our favor the amount of incarceration yeah. it's almost like you can't just you can't just do that you can't just go out and sort of like totally and and brutally disrupt somebody's entire self being in history then put them into a system that is designed for their failure yeah. and then when a few succeed despite that which is incredible right yeah. and then some other ones do fall victim to all the traps that are put in place you go aha you fell victim to the trap and it just seems like for me, like I liken it to like a house, yeah. Right. If you went to somebody's house, right, and they had all these beautiful kids, 
and yeah. the house was gorgeous. Yeah. But then there was this one room in the house that was just not taken care of. Yeah. Just, yeah. And there was a kid in there who was clearly hadn't bathed yeah. in weeks. Yeah. And then somebody was like, hey, man, how's that house? You wouldn't say, you know, it's an amazing house. Yeah. You'd be like, that house looks good on the outside, but it's fucked up. There's yeah. something going on in there yeah. that that one thing. And, <laughs> and I say that to say that I think that, you know, to me, I, I'm always heartened when I f- see people take it upon themselves to go, wait a second, this isn't Southside Chicago's problem. Yeah. You know, what's in the news now? Baltimore. It's not Baltimore's problem. Right. It's not Queens' problem. It's America's problem. Right. You know, yep. how do we all fix this thing? Because our house has a part of it that we should be ashamed of. Right. Yeah, I, I agree. We're ashamed of how we and, treat that part. And of I house. also think what's important is to really, you know, not just, you know, the problem with the amount of information that's coming at us all the time is there's no real context anymore. Correct. So I think that what you're saying about really realizing how, how it wasn't that long ago and the, the sort of expansiveness of the horror. Oh. Like, because I went down, when I was shooting last year in Birmingham, and I went to uh, Montgomery to, to that museum, mm-hmm. to the lynching museum, and like, like, and I'm not just a white guy, yeah. you know, and I think, you know, my head's in the right place, but, you know, to really put it into perspective of, of human lives oh. and how widespread it was yeah. and just the power of that piece of art, and, and like, I, I, like, it blew my fucking mind. America had several speed bumps for black folk. We had slavery. Yeah. Got past that. Then there were actually people who pulled themselves up literally by their bootstraps despite the government's promise of 40 acres and a mule which was not realized. Yeah. There are people who still pulled themselves up by their bootstraps and then those people were firebombed by their neighbors yeah. and killed. By their America, neighbors. America's, and the government sometimes too. America's yeah. had so many secret race riots we don't even talk about them. We, yeah. You know, we saw this in the Jack Johnson documentary. He won the world championship I think it was like 1918 or something hundreds of black people around America died. It was like this massive bloodletting because he had dared to beat the white champ. That all happened. You know, I just shot a movie in North Carolina about black soldiers in 1918 who were part of a terrible race riot and they were just trying to get over to France and fight for this country. Right. And so then that goes and then that goes away and then you just see these systemic things and then you have the war on drugs and you have, and it's like this constant barriers and I'm always so impressed when I see black folk who really succeeded despite all that, because I can tell you it is a difficult proposition yeah. when you don't have a community there to support you sometimes, some do, yeah. and you don't have the traditional structures, and you're sort of writing your own, think about this, a lot of black folk are writing their own history from scratch, Yeah, starting in the 70s. Right. Not in the 60s, 50s, because that's still sort of fighting just to be able to not be shot on the way to school. You have us creating and implementing an entirely new identity, set of values, art, music, and all of it's revolutionary and new, and it, it comes from our experience, but it has to be sort of created on the fly, you know? Right. It's sort of like we have to figure out our own history because there's this gigantic eraser <laughs> yeah. that has erased this sort of lineage. Right. Where, I mean, I don't even know where I come from. I'm sitting here. I mean, I haven't also haven't done an ancestry test, but like I have friends who can be like, oh, yeah, my grandmother's from here, and then her grandmother's from here, and then here's my great-great-great-great-grandfather and his mule. Yeah. You know, I don't have that. You don't? No. You don't, do you want to get it? Eventually. Eventually, I'll get it. Because yours is probably a little different, like, because your dad come up through It Panama. might be a slight difference, but, yeah. you know, the phrase diaspora refers to everybody who was kind of, like, dropped off on the slave boat. So, right. we kind of all dropped off at different places. Yeah. So, it might be different. It could be identical to a lot of other people. Right. Um, so, who, you ha- were you aware of this, like, your whole life? Yeah. I mean- I mean, in the sense that because you're like, well, but you're one of these people that, you know, kind of made his way out. Mm-hmm. And you, a lot of help. Yeah. Lots of help. Yeah. And but I don't feel like I made it out because when I go back to Chicago, 
still. And, you know, one of the reasons we did a show there is because I'm just sick and tired of how the city is presented. It's oh, this is the other show. So you got two things coming out. Yeah, I got Southside and Sherman Showcase. Sherman Showcase. Sherman is Showcase is a, a sketch comedy show. Sketch comedy on that's IFC. IFC. That's uh, Wednesdays at ten o'clock. Yeah. Um, and Southside is same night yeah. <laughs> on Comedy Central at ten thirty. So yeah, the Southside show is really um, just my you know our chance to sort of say, hey, look, Southside Chicago and, and Black Chicago is not what you think. It's a really vibrant place with fun people. Some of, of the best comics. Yeah. You know your Bernie Macs. Your your uh, your Robin Harris, God damn, the greatest. I love yeah. Robin Harris, Sherry Shepard. There's so okay. many great. Dion Cole, we were just talking about him. Yep. Uh, 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 D. Ray Davis, yep. uh, Lil Rel Howery. D. Ray, I like D. All Ray. These guys. D. Ray's hilarious. He is. All these great guys come from <laughs> Black Chicago. <laughs> yeah. Like yet, when you think of Chicago, you don't think like oh, uh, Black Chicago. You don't think oh, comedy. Right. You think like oh, I saw that in the news. Yeah, so of we're course there's a that. vibrant community there. Right, yeah, but people don't know about it. They don't know about it. Like, so I don't go visit. No, you, you haven't been to the south side of Chicago? I'm not, usually, here's my excuse. I'm not I'm never there that long, you know, and I got you work go in, to do. You go in, get out. You see what you need to see. I eat my pizza. Eat a couple slices. <laughs> and I do my thing. I do you like look, it, You though. look to the south side, it looks, it looks crazy over there. I don't, if someone took me there, I'd go. Yeah. You know, but I, I usually, I do like Chicago. I've grown to really love it. It's definitely of its, it's own great town, place. Man. It really it, is. It definitely doesn't take itself seriously, which I love. Um, the people there, you know, they're just regular ass people, which I love. Well, I think it, I do think it's an important you know perspective to show because you're right in that you know there is this idea. Even people who consider themselves progressive, yeah. you know, kind of package it that way in their yeah. head, like that's problems, right? But yeah, you know what I mean. There's problems there. People are dying. There's problems. It's, yeah. It's, look, there's parts of uh, of my beloved city, you know, where little kids go to school that can only be described as a war zone, you know, for the amount of of, of Violence that they have to pass through just to get to class every day. Fucking, not to mention, yeah. you know, evictions. Not to mention, there's a great book called Eviction, which I just read, which really lays out how people getting evicted, not having money, yeah. and moving from place to place destabilizes the ability for a Anything. village to raise a child, right? Right. Your kids are always the new kid. Yeah. There's always new beef. There's always new people. There's always people you don't know. There's always a distrust in these neighborhoods. Right. And families are just moving from different place to place following. Whoever will let them live there, you know, and, so, that, and it's really just and historically, like of your your parents' generation, that yeah. was one of the strengthening aspects of the community. There was more homo. I think I don't. I won't speak ill because I don't know the numbers, but there was definitely when I was growing up. Yeah, we played on the block. All right, night, right, and, but we everyone knew each other. If you, knew each other. If your folks were away. Absolutely, they, they would watch you. Absolutely, yeah. we went across the street to yeah. the neighbor's house. Yeah, the neighbor came over to our house. Yeah. And everybody kind of was like aware that there were certain rules in place, right? And I think some of that infrastructure has been eradicated. Community infrastructure, community infrastructure yeah. has been eradicated. So, so you got to be, you know, how do we do something about that? That's the question that I think about. Well, I mean, and on some level, you know, you think about it, and you, you know, you wonder, maybe ask yourself, I, I do as well, like where are the leaders? But there are people that work on a community level, and then there's people like you who's going to make a show showing a different side of that. Yeah, and you got to hope that helps somewhat. I think it will. But it seems to be those people that are like at it every day with those kids. You yeah. know, you know. Do- I think you know, for me, my. You know, maybe just because our leaders keep getting assassinated in sort of like spectacular fashion, mm. I tend to be against this idea of single leadership. I tend to, you know, like one of the things that I admire about Black Lives Matter is they have a decentralized right. leadership. And I think that's really important because mm-hmm. if you have one human being who's supposed to be the face of something, that person's going to get tarred, and feathered, smeared, destroyed. Heaven forbid they're actually just a human being with mistakes and right. foibles 
and like all of us, they have some shortcomings. Right. That's all going to come out. Right. Now the entire movement yeah, is disparaged hobbled, just yeah. because this guy likes hookers. You know yeah, what I'm yeah, saying? Right. Whatever that would be. <laughs> Which, you know, yeah, happens. It's, it's, it happens. Some yeah. people like that. People are flawed. People are humans. Yeah. I think that's the thing is like, it's almost like you read the internet every day and there's, there's this sort of like idealized person that nobody thinks anybody else is living up to. And yeah. you kind of want to be like, we're all just people, man. Yeah, there's all these like, yeah, there's articles and ads about how you become your best self and yeah. then all the other articles is what a fuck that guy is. It's totally. Or you'll see like, a, you'll see even like, you know, yeah. like a, a Democrats, for example, will like point out the hypocrisy um, with, uh, say, Republican behavior vis-a-vis yeah. the Bible. Right. But then it's like, well, but we're not even supposed to be using the Bible as our standard. Yeah, you know, anyway, the separation of church and state. So you're yeah. pointing out this guy's a hypocrite, but you're also implying that we should be sort of following a Judeo-Christian have this conversation. Point of view. And it's yeah. like, well, what if he's an atheist? Yeah, or a Satanist? Yeah, or why, we shouldn't be even arguing. Why can't we just be rational people concerned about our, our lives on this planet and taking care of each other? The way we, yeah, the way, <laughs> why, why, yeah, the way why we treat we this planet is it's really it's very American. Yeah. The way we treat this planet, I just go like sometimes, like, man, that is just. We just act like we got three more of these motherfuckers somewhere, like yeah. just sitting around nope. waiting to be inhabited. No, no, no. They're just they're hoping we'll adapt, I guess, or they're oh, just pretending like it's not happening. Dude, even when just, I was, you just need better sunscreen, different clothes. Yeah, yeah. You know, just that's why my I was mad about my air conditioner not working earlier. Oh, know, yeah. the well, that's the weird kind of like Faustian deal we all make. It's mm. like I know all this shit's not happening, and I but I'd like to be comfortable. Yeah. And, and what's more important, saving the world or me being comfortable? You know. Well, why not both? Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the, really, the answer I think should be like saving the world. So, what was your? How did you get into uh, the comedy thing? I mean, what was always, the... man? Always, you know, when I was a little kid, um, I used to dress up like a, a dog. Yeah. Pretend I was the family dog and try to make my family laugh. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Uh, it, it would Where's kill that? You. Had you been there, you'd be dying right now. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah. It sounds pretty many funny. years later. It's just what a odd kid. Yeah. But. Um, I think even growing up, and I'm sure you felt this too, there's that first moment where you're in a room full of people and they laugh at something you say, oh, yeah. 11 or 12, and you're kind of like, oh, yeah. well, that feels really good. Yeah. Um, and so it wasn't comedy. It was just for me, it was always theater. Uh-huh. I love theater. Really? Oh, my God. I've done so much Shakespeare. Really? So much musical theater. Yeah. When was the first time you were exposed to that? High school. First time I was, I was Hamlet. In I, high school? I wasn't Hamlet. I played uh, Claudius. I played the dad. Uh-huh. And uh, and you, you know, loved it. I loved it. I was like, this is this, every day. It's like lush. You get to be on stage. You get to say this wonderful stuff. You essentially use poetry to drive plot, which uh-huh. is incredible. Right. And it's like being, it's like learning French and loving French. I mean, for so, me, it was wonderful. So then, then in high school, you're like, I'm going to be an actor. I was like, I'm going to be an actor, but I ain't tell nobody because yeah. I'm from the hood. Right. And <laughs> particularly once I, I was a president of the National Honor Society, I had good grades. You know, you can't be from the hood and have all these accolades and be like, hey, mom and dad, um, I'm about to go to Hollywood. Yeah. There's some tears. So I went to college and for three years I did pre-med. Where at? Harvard. That's a good school. That's where I met Ryan Diallo, my writing partner. It's a great school. Um, I don't encourage anybody to try to learn calculus in college. You're not going to be able to do it. <laughs> Uh, you should really do it before. <laughs> if once that ship has sailed, it's gone. Dude, math in general is like at some point you need to be honest with yourself about are you going to be a math person? And yeah. sometimes the answer is I'm not. not. I, oh, no. I but you haven't really it. needed it, have you? No, but I mean, I just I used to do a joke about that where you know you can't charm your way through math. So no, you it's can't. not for me. No. 
You can through English. Sure. Philosophy. Oh, almost history, everything, everything else. else. Yeah. <laughs> Math is more like, yeah, it's very charming, but this is an F. Yeah, exactly. Uh, That's so the wrong number. <laughs> <laughs> would it be the wrong number if I held it like this? <laughs> exactly. That's a bit. Uh, yeah. yeah, it still would, motherfucker. You're terrible. I, uh, I went to, I did college. And I was always doing theater in college. Harvard has this thing called the Hasty Pudding where yeah. men dress as women. I did that. I played Othello twice. I played it my sophomore year and my senior year. But in like they have like a, a theater thing for Harvard not- has tons of theater. Harvard has more theater than any other college in America. But for it's not mostly for, bad though. But it's not for you don't have to be in the theater no, program. No, no, it's not an ACT program. It's right. not like structured. It's really that's why they have more than anybody else, because any student can just like I did a Paul Robeson play. Yeah. Um I just got a space. I walked around the campus for four days, four days, just putting up flyers, right. rehearsed my ass off, and I just did it. And mm-hmm. people showed up, and it was it was cool. Yeah. Um, and I had this wonderful moment, now that you bring it up, that I, I never forget. It's one of my most cherished memories, is I remember there was a training program in upstate New York. Yeah. It's called the Hangar Theater Lab Company. And it was a place to really, as a young person, start your career as a real actor. Yeah. And it was um, it was not cheap. And my family does not have money. So I'll never forget, I called my dad and I said, hey man, uh, we got this is my junior year. Yeah. Because you know, you have that foreboding sense in the back of your head like, there's a day of reckoning coming. Yeah. Because your ass is not going to medical school. Yeah. This facade and, and, will come to a and, lie. And you haven't told them. I haven't told anybody. Yeah. This is coming to a head at some yeah. point. <laughs> <laughs> but you just like party and dance. Like, yeah. <laughs> Wait, are you getting good grades in the pre-med? No, terrible. Oh, no. Terrible grades. <laughs> but but passing, but yeah. terrible. Um, my worst grades at Harvard were my pre-med grades. And then I finally called my dad, my junior, and I said, hey, man, so uh, there's a theater training program, and I want to go do it because I want to be an actor. And I'll never forget. He said, okay. He said, I think we kind of always knew you were going to do that. So, all right, I'll pay for it. That was it. It was wonderful. (laughs) That was one of my best memories. I was like, I I felt this weight lift off my shoulder. I just felt it. Dude, it was so good, man. I I wish it on everybody. (laughs) That moment when you accept who you who you gonna be yeah you know yeah and it, it was great and i was like so happy and i said and then my mom was like okay we just finished your pre-made requirements and i yeah. said what the fuck yeah and so i got oh so she was like she's a it's like well, indulge him she's like make sure he finishes yeah it. she's yeah. my mom was like well yes you can go but also just you yeah. never know you might want to be a doctor right right i was like, i don't think she realizes the degree to which i'm getting off that path yeah. you can't just casually but oh, that's right. fall back into that but they they're worried about your future well, they know where I come from. Yeah. And they know how hard it is to, to do something from there oh, yeah. that is at the level I had done it. So you finished school, though. Finished it, man. Graduated. Came to L.A. Oh, right like, after? Right after. Well, That's... not immediately. I went home to Chicago first because I didn't make enough money. Yeah. I worked as a pre-med, a pre, excuse me, a, a paralegal uh-huh. in downtown Chicago. To save up to, to come save here. save up enough money to come to Los Angeles. Came yeah. to L.A. And then just had every odd job. I was a PA. I worked in restaurants. Uh, Where I were you, PA? Bathrooms. At Warner Brothers. Oh, just general, not on a shoot. Uh, no, I was a PA for Warner Brothers Studios, which was cool at that time. The shows, their two big shows, were Friends and ER. Uh huh. So I would see like the cast of Friends, and I would see like George Clooney out there, like yeah. tossing the football with some of the like crew guys. Yeah, and I was like, dun, 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 I've made it. Yeah, and I was driving. I remember one day I was driving a <laughs> cart, and I whipped around a corner, and I hit the brakes. I crit. Yeah, it was Brooke Shields. I almost hit her with a cart. Nice. And I said, man, that would have totally. Ruined my entire Hollywood yeah, career. If that would have been where it. I was going. That's done. Yeah, random black kid assault model <laughs> by, by accident. Yeah, who? How did? How did he even get on the lot? That's yeah. the question I want to know. How did he get on the lot? Says he was working here. Claims he was working here, guys. <laughs> um, he's from Chicago, by the way. 
The bad part. <sighs> the bad part. Yeah, we can't vouch for this guy. Um, but we started doing our own thing, and then we like like you did. Yeah, wasn't getting what I wanted. Wasn't happy, and we started making our own web videos. You and, and, and Diallo. Me and Diallo started making our own web videos. We were always doing sketch comedy. Diallo Riddle. Diallo Riddle. Yeah. Yep. And he's some guy you met. We met in college. Right. Very similar background to me. Uh, big family like I'm from. Really funny guy. Well, what was and the New York time? You talk about New York. Oh, right. That's right. So and, that's uh, after that. Yep. We were making our own videos. And then Jimmy, uh, actually first David Allen Greer, God bless him, caught wind of us and hired us for his show for like two seconds. Which one? It was a show called Chocolate News. Yeah. We kind of got there after they had done everything. Yeah. But it was cool, man, to like be in the, a writer room for the first time. So you were a like, team. Yeah. We were a writing team. Right. And we did Chocolate News. And then Fallon called us and we said, hey, man, you guys should come out here. We met with him. And, uh, you know, it was a 13-week contract. Uh-huh. And we were like, yo, man, the last person that had a TV show and talk show from the SNL camp was like Chevy Chase. Right. That was not a show that lasted a long time. It's so terrible. We, <laughs> your words, not mine. God. Everyone's words. <laughs> America had made a decision yeah, about yeah. that show. Oh yeah. So at the time, Jimmy was also maligned because they were saying, "Oh, he breaks up in the sketches. He's you know he's not you know." He's, I think he's, he's great. He's incredible. <laughs> so we went and we worked. We had a thirteen week contract and uh, we moved to New York. Didn't know what the hell was going to happen, and that was four great years. Ended up being four. Got an Emmy nomination. Um, and we did sketch, and obviously our show Sherman Showcase is sort of like the most logical progression. It's so, almost a, like, so AD yeah. Miles was the head writer. AD Miles was the head writer. That's yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it was it was cool, man. Morgan Murphy was there. Sure. Uh, Anthony Jeselnik yep. was there, and then a bunch of other really cool young. It's interesting, like with Jeselnik, because I always thought he had the best jokes. Sure, they, they would send monologue around. Writer. Yeah, but then it would be like that's hilarious, not going on the air. Hilarious, not going to air. Yeah. Hilarious. I'm like, these are great jokes, but he's not going to say this stuff. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So, okay, so you write for Fallon, and he's a good guy, right? Great. Because, like, guy. a lot of people, like, criticize. Really focus on the funny, though, which I love. Oh, he's so funny. Like, That's... it's not, but I'm saying he's not, like, like, there's not small talk with him. No, you know but that's why, like, like, people criticize like, him because yeah. he's so goofy and cute. But I'm like, that's what he's doing. That's what he does, yeah. And, like, when I do it, I just did the show, like, a week and a half ago. I'm always, like, relieved. Yeah. You know, to, like, it's going to be fine. Dude, he made us feel so, we were there, he made us feel so comfortable. Yeah. I could not, I was so grateful that he made us. I, you know, it's funny, I never appreciated how hard his job is yeah. until I was on the couch. Oh, and dude. I was like, oh, fucking every day. shit, this job is hard. Yeah. But he kept the ball in the air. He kept it interesting. He He's kept, quick. He kept setting us up for line drives. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? We had really good hits because of him. And so I said, oh, man, I am getting educated. I am learning. I, that shit is hard. Yeah. To be out there, and it's like you're out there alone. I know it's live to tape. You could edit it, but you got to edit it. He's so quick when you're talking to him and he, he listens yeah. and he likes to laugh. Yeah, he loves it. Yeah. One of the things I love working working with him is is that it really is about the funny. I mean, yeah. it, it, you talk to him, as I was saying before, it's really not a lot of small talk. It's like, mm. how do we make this funnier? What does the audience think about this? Do we like this part of it? It's almost like technical. Yeah. And you kind of learn, because we were there some days, like, I don't know if you've ever written for a late night show. No. But it's like, dude, 20-hour days sometimes. Yeah. And so- Every fucking day, and I don't give a fuck how great your day was on Monday. Yeah, Tuesday needs to be good too. Right. Um. And well, so I always that's hard ass work. Yeah. Man. But but I kind of like hard. Yeah. In my life, anything that's been hard has usually been like really worth it. Right. And the easy shit is like it's not worth it. The payoffs better. Oh, 
it's a hard for a reason. It's hard yeah. because it's worth doing. So you got a good education with the funny with him. You got a great education in really collaborating. And then for you, me, comedy writing is collaborating. You oh, got to know. Sure. You, you can't sit up there and be like, "I'm the funny one." Like you can embarrass yourself. Unless no. you just write monologue jokes, then you can go. But even then, they, you know, but they go through. I know hundreds for, of them. Yeah, yeah, hundreds of them for seven. And then you like all the you know you do, you're doing that you write but you also act you're in you're in the show with me you're on yeah, Glow and we Glow's do that yeah yeah that's a lot and you're, you're going to be in the new Top it was, Gun it was fun. Movie. It, yeah I'm going to be in Top Gun I'm playing Tom Cruise's best friend really yeah that's a big role man <laughs> yeah, it was it was great it was what? great uh, you know it's funny I was on I was on an aircraft carrier and I was about to shoot the scene with Tom where he's in a jet and I'm outside the jet and we're having this really tough moment yeah and then I just had that amazing moment of imposter syndrome wash over me I'm like who in the fuck life is this. <laughs> This is who is this guy? But then I looked at my paper trail and I'm like, yo, man, 20 years in, you've acted in movies before. It's not your first movie. You've yeah. acted on TV, recurring on three different TV shows, yeah. produced shows. I was like, you have the resume of somebody who would be in this moment. Right. But it's hard. Did you like the moment? Um, did I like it? So you're it? the new best friend. You don't go down, do you? No, man. Right. I don't even get to fly a plane and shit. Oh, Everybody's oh. like, you get to fly planes. I'm like, nah, I'm the- uh, Who was the guy in the first movie that got killed? That was, that was his Goose. best friend? Goose. That was yeah, Goose. Goose. Anthony, yeah. Dr. Anthony, Anthony Edwards yeah. from uh, ER. The, but, the new but, movie, yeah. But you're with Tom a lot? Yeah, I'm with Tom the whole movie. And how, how was that? Educational. Uh-huh. He, you know, it's funny. Tom Cruise reminds me a lot of, of Jimmy Fallon in his professionalism. Uh-huh. I, you know, I'm greatly aware that- Everybody's got stuff to say, but the good news about what we do is that we get to sometimes work one-on-one with folks, and I will yeah. tell you that every discussion I have with Tom, it's it's similar to Jimmy in that Tom is like, what is the audience thinking right now? And uh-huh. I thought that was really cool to see. Like, literally, I don't care if, where the camera is. I don't care. Anything that's happening on set, it's always going to pass through one single filter with him is like, what is the audience's emotional response? He really sees himself almost like a roller coaster director. I know uh-huh. that sounds weird, but he's like, we need to make sure this thing has enough thrills, enough highs, enough moments, enough everything. And is he the producer? The, I think he's always the producer. Yeah. I mean, if he's on the movie, yeah. it's his movie. Yeah. So to watch that and to be like, oh, you know, I know people would think, you know, movie star, right? It's like, oh, movie star, movie star. Yeah. One thing he always told us when we were on set, he was like, the reason I have a long career is, is competence. I, I I study this stuff. He said, I've tried to learn what everybody on the movie set does. Yeah. He said, I go to movies. I sit in the back of the audience. I look. I see what they respond to. I see what they don't. I've done that all over. It's really like a scientific undertaking, you know, almost like a technical undertaking. And I think for myself, I was like, damn, I really want to learn how to do that. Because right. I don't think of my writing that way. I, I never thought of it. When I write, I always thought of it as like, how do I say what I want to say? Right. I never thought of it as, when I say this, what will the audience feel? Right. And I think just that second part, which is where he is, is something that I want I want to get better at. It's sort of like a, an empathy thing almost. Like you yeah. put yourself in the position of the audience. He is he is a fan. He said, like, I'm a fan of these movies. I need to be able to watch this movie like a fan and feel like a fan feels it. Uh-huh. And I think that's actually, to his credit, it's been the key to some of his longevity is because when you go to his movies, them shits really are really yeah. exciting. Nice know? guy? Super nice. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, I'm never. I'm not gonna say one bad thing on this podcast. Martin. I know that. I'm not. Even I, though I, I could. I could destroy. I could fuck all these guys. I could kill all of them. Yeah, but could you? But I'm not. No, uh, nah, I probably couldn't actually. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna be diplomatic. <laughs> Absolutely. You're in show business. I'm in now. show business, man. I can't be. No crying. Up. Little small talk. I cried a little bit, y'all. Say nice, nice things about everybody. It. That's the. That's the worst when you try to be all manly and then. Oh yeah, you're like I'm just gonna break down right here if you don't mind. Yeah, and then they they know, mind. and then in your heart, and they, then no matter how much you try to act yeah. tough outside, after they know. that they kind of look at you and go, "Yeah, you're yeah. just crying, bro." Yeah, 
<laughs> yep, I had to bring yep, you yep. tissues. And yeah, shit. The yeah. Dog, the dog was licking your tears. Just, just know I, I <laughs> just know I know that. You know, I know that vulnerability yeah. is something that I always saw as weakness growing mm. up on the South Side. Man, there's some tough guys, man. Yeah. And I think that's why a lot of black folk will tell you, particularly if you read Twitter and stuff. You know, because even though I'm not on anything, I'm the world's number one troll. I troll yeah. everybody. I always tell people I'm like that janitor in the yeah. Breakfast Club. You know. Uh, yeah. You know, I've been through your stuff. I know what's yeah, going yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, I read your tweets. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> but uh, vulnerability, you know, and it's linked to emotional expression. Mm-hmm. It's something a lot of black folk, I think, have traditionally been raised to to see as weakness, because it's, it's too tough to like go out there, get the, you know the man stepping on your neck all day, come home, she'll try and try to be some kind of you know mother figure and father yeah. figure and provider, right? And then also acknowledge the fact that you are fucking depressed as fuck and you barely got out of bed yesterday. Right. Because the kids are crying in the other room. The rent is due. You can't sit up here and, and do that. You can't feel sorry for yourself. Yeah. But obviously that leads to some emotional destruction. You know, even in myself, and I'm one of the lucky ones. I came from a yeah. you know, nuclear family. Everything was there. Again, we were talking about that with, with my woman. Like, I did not realize the level of emotional damage that I had. Right. And it was, it was devastating. Yeah. You know, I had to just... I had to like be honest about how fucked up I was. And that is something I never thought I would have to do. It's nice though. It's nice on the other side of it. Oh well, yeah. And you almost wonder like, how could I have kept that up for so long? Like that's oh, embarrassing. It's exhausting. You get to breathe now. Oh, isn't it nice? Yeah. So tell me like let's like I'm sorry, before, we should talk about the show. No, no. Oh. We we've we actually talked about oh, okay, certainly about Southside and show. Sherman and Showcase, right? yeah, yeah. But Sherman Showcase, no, because I watched the episode of that. Now the whole thing is around that show. It's the around whole thing the, is around the thing, yeah. Around the, the one sort thing of the that dance uh, show. Diallo says, which I love, is is he says if you know Thirty Rock took place at Saturday Night Live, Sherman Showcase takes place at Soul Train. Now we don't just use Soul Train; we use like a lot of TV shows. Yeah, American Bandstand, Burt Sugarman's Midnight Special. Yeah, I remember that. Really? Oh, you do? Yeah, I'd never seen that. Diallo, to his credit, used to get these. Um, he used to literally be up late at night watching the infomercials for Burt Sugarman's Midnight Specials, and then he bought them. Yeah, I kind of remember like watched them all. Yeah, I kind of remember it being on when I was a kid. I'm was 50, cool. I'm 55. Yeah, because okay. he was like he would sit there and talk. I barely remember. Yeah. I mean, I watch, I watched the VHSs in the early 2000s. So yeah, that'll okay. tell you. Yeah. Oh, excuse me. I guess it would be the DVDs at that point. Um, so it's sort of that kind of rock. But the idea the, is that look, music we, showcase. We love music. Yeah. Diallo DJs. I sing. Yeah. You know, we both play instruments. Uh, we've always loved music. We've always been strongly into music. When we were at Fallon, we did all the musical bits. We wrote uh, the Slow Jam, the News with Obama. We, we were the guys who did the, the history of raps. And even when Stephen Colbert came on to sing Friday, we produced it. We were always with the musical guys. And, so, and you're working with the Roots. That's got to be great. Oh, my God. Working with Questlove. You know, every now and then you meet somebody and you go like, man, I hope this person is this way. And then they are. You're like, yeah. oh, thank God. He's a sweet guy. Man, you, you, you know this business. So yeah. when I was at Fallon, I will say that whole thing about don't meet your heroes is so true. Yeah. So many people, I'm like, hey! I'm yeah. like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, that guy is a jerk. Yeah. <laughs> you can't even do anything because they're like, motherfuckers will embarrass you in front of the rest of the yeah. the room full of people, and all you can do is just eat that shit. Yeah. But not you know, Questlove. No, Questlove is the fight. You know what I like about Questlove is like, he is a nerd yeah. in, in the greatest way. In, in that, when I say nerd, I mean somebody who has tremendous interests yeah. and they're unafraid to pursue yeah. them. Without anybody making fun, they don't give a fuck. They love Dungeons and Dragons or sure. you know Star yeah. Wars. And Questlove's case is music, yeah. And so Questlove and I and Diallo, mostly those two, 
would be down there talking about music, like, oh, well, you know, this guy played drums for James Brown. He really defined the sound. I don't think he defined the sound. Yeah. I think, <laughs> right. you know, that like really in the weed stuff. Yeah. yeah, deep cuts. And so when you watch Sherman Showcase, what I love is that if you just like music and comedy, we have something for you. If you're a real music fan, yeah. Sherman Showcase really gets in on the music. Yeah. So we have an episode three that's really about the entirety of Prince's career, how he came out and he was playing music for Stevie Nicks. Then he got really hot and was doing stuff. Then there came a point where like he was getting less applause than the people opened for him, right? The sort of hip hop era when it yeah. first really, really hit. Right. Like ninety two, ninety three, he was he was having a little bit of like difficulty continuing to stay as strongly yeah. relevant because hip hop was coming. Right. And so but he continued to define himself. And then what our show does, which I love, is it almost serves as like a sort of a, a, a love letter to him. Oh. Almost like a goodbye. This is a, I, as a fan, I feel like we never really got to say episode goodbye. Episode three? Episode three. Uh-huh. And uh, we never really got to say goodbye to him. And so we do that. But we have all this wonderful, we have this whole sketch about um, Barry Gordy's artists yeah. trying to get their money back from him. But it's <laughs> shot like Ocean's Eleven. Oh, okay. So we're like doing a whole heist. You're going to go in Barry's vault. Okay, he got Marvin Gaye's ashes in there. Watch <laughs> out for that. So like all this stuff where it's like, hopefully it's funny, but more importantly like, no, actually, funny is the most important. If it's not funny, then we're uh, yeah, going. Yeah. But Can't I go do... back on that now. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Guys, here's the thing. Funny money. The point is, <laughs> if you're a history buff, God damn, you're going to love this stuff. The one thing I'll say that I'm most proud of is that we really tried to be elite at every level. So we have our best... We, we really did... We, we didn't just write the first season. We then brought in some of our comedy friends. We did a full punch-up on the whole first season. You know, we didn't just write music for the show. We tried to follow what you know the Lonely Island guys do. And really, Mike, the first time I heard Lo- uh, Lazy Sunday, yeah, I was like, yo, this shit goes hard without the comedy lyrics. Right. The comedy lyrics are like an added bonus. So right. it was really important to Diallo and I to go to real musicians to make our music. So we might hum a tune or have a bit of an idea. Then we go to people like Neo and this guy Fonte Coleman and this group The Knox. And we even, you know, there's all these really real musicians because we're smart enough to know that we are not real musicians. And right. Working with Questlove, right? Yeah. Like, you got to give it to somebody who has that shit in their heart. Right. And I envy that. I wish I had it. Yeah. I wish I was good enough, but right. I'm also smart enough to know that I'm not good enough. And why not in Poison Musicians? Hell they can yeah. always use the work. Oh, my God. And they all want to be in front of the camera, which is great. Yeah. So we have all these great John Legend and, and Common and all these you know great musicians who came on and just did comedy with us. So it's like our show was like the only other place outside of SNL yeah. where if you're a musician, you, know, you can come on and we'll do some music stuff with you and we'll do some comedy stuff with you. The hope is that we've created something so different and unique that it stands out in this crowded marketplace. I mean, that's the goal. So wait, so now Sherman's is on now? IFC starts uh, Wednesday. Right, Southside started uh, last week. Sherman's All right, so, and then Glow starts August 9th and uh, Top Gun is out when? Top Gun, I don't know. They didn't tell me. Oh, you know. But you know, Glow's coming on August. 9th. August ninth, man. Yeah. I'm excited. I just saw, I was hanging out with Sedell yesterday. Oh yeah. I've yeah. had so many friends tell me that they think they're like, oh, you know, Mark is so lucky to do that show because he gets to be a real asshole and he gets to just say whatever he wants. And yeah. You can't do that anymore. I yeah. mean, do you feel like you're doing a part where you get to be more over the top? Well, I, other I think, people get to be. I, I don't know that I play it that way, but I just I, the way I feel is that like these guys existed, and that's one of the reasons why that it wouldn't people work. Liked, if it was fake. Yeah, they yeah. like Sam. Like all these women come up to me is like that was my dad's friend. Hey, everyone knew Sam, a yeah. Sam. Yeah, my yeah. dad was like that. My dad hung around guys like that. That guy was like a regular guy. Yeah, back in the day. Yeah, I mean he's just a, he's he's a bit of an asshole. He's I, I don't think he's a a conscious misogynist. Everyone was swimming in the same water, dude. Mm-hmm. It was just the way shit was. Yeah, you know he's obviously not a racist. So he's 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 a certain type of asshole that 
is not as toxic as real monsters. Right. I don't think Sam's a monster. He's not trying to kill careers and, no. and, and destroy people's lives. No, he's like he's a sad sack asshole. Yeah. yeah. It's America's favorite asshole. It is. Yeah, people love a cranky sad sack asshole. <laughs> Good talking to you, Bashir. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, this man. is great. All right, there you go. Again, the show that Bashir can be seen in is uh, Sherman Showcase. He created that, uh, co-created it, and stars in it. And It's on Wednesday nights on IFC. He's also in season three of GLOW with me. I actually fill in for his job on GLOW. That's part of my job in the, in the show is to fill in for his job. You'll see. Rest in peace, David Berman. You will be missed. Boomer lives! <laughs>